Dead Ahead. Written and narrated by Jason Wallstrom. Chapter 2. Mulberry was a clean city. A green city. It was a town powered by the sun and the wind. It always had been. At the tip of each city lamppost was a small windmill. You could see them up and down the block. Most of them were old now. And the ones nearest to the row of tents, sitting in front of the giant brick building, tended to squeak. A loud sleeper would be an exaggeration, and boy, could Jack Hawkins snore. He laid on his back, his head cocked to the right, drool forming a pool on his pillow when a thump to his head stirred him awake. It was dark in his tent, with a little bit of sunlight creeping in. Whatever had kicked him, he couldn't see. It was outside. The kick didn't so much as hurt as startle him awake. He felt that type of feeling from a sudden awakening that causes your hands to shake. He rubbed his eyes, then sat up. What the fuck, man? He unzipped the tent flap and poked his head out. Officer Jeb Dooley was bent over, staring down at him. Jack wondered how long his head had been there, waiting for him to stick his head out to be greeted with that shit-eating grin of his. Was that you? Was that really necessary, man? Jack felt humiliation as he crawled out on all fours. What did I tell you? If you're going to camp out in front of a retail store, you got to be up and at them by 9 a.m. sharp. Officer Jeb pulled up his shirt cuff, exposing his black digital watch. See what this says? Can you even tell time? 9.01. Officer Jeb may have been impressed with himself, but he wasn't done. You may remember yesterday when I pointed out to you and your friends that this here red line is a fire lane and nothing crosses it. Nothing. Jack now stood straight, meeting the eyes of Officer Jeb Dooley. Yeah, and? Jack said. And? Your tent was over the line, and that's why you may feel a nice lump on your skull later. Officer Jeb reached out to pat Jack on the head, but Jack flinched. Jack turned around to see if anyone else was witnessing this harassment. He saw a line of tents of different colors and sizes and several hipsters chilling out on their folding chairs, smoking their morning tobacco and clove cigarettes. None of them seemed to care about how Officer Dooley was treating him. Tell me, how many more days is it until these tickets you're waiting for go on sale? Officer Dooley asked while taking a survey of the people of the line. Jack at first hesitated to answer the asshole. But maybe if he just answered him, he would go away. Tomorrow morning at 9. Well, that's 24 hours that you need to remember the rules. Officer Dooley straightened up and did an about-face. Have a nice day. He walked around the corner of the Bylot store and out of Jack's view. The Bylots was one of those generic brick-and-mortar electronic stores that sold high-definition televisions, home theater equipment, computers and laptops, and all of the latest movie and video game releases. Jack hadn't done this for a long time, camping out for tickets, but his buddy Randy had talked him into it. Their favorite broken-up-and-back-together band, Death Racer Cinco, was coming to town in a month, and there was no way in hell that they were going to miss that show. The last time that Jack had camped out, it was for the latest gaming console release, and when it turned out that the Bylots only had five of those consoles, there was pandemonium. 
Jack remembers how the morons running the store that day handled it. They put a table in the center of the electronics store and put the five Xboxes on the table and set up a paper starting line. When they sounded the air horn, all you had to do was run as fast as you could and grab a console, and it was yours. Jack turned his right hand over to look at the scar on his palm. He didn't get a console, but he did get stitches. He hoped that someone, preferably the store manager, lost his job that day. Asshole, Jack said to no one in particular. The sliding glass doors of the bylots opened, and Randy walked out with a bag. Hey, dude! He reached into the bag and pulled out a 20-ounce bottle of soda pop. Got you a Zolt? Jack snatched the bottle out of his hands. What are you, the first customer of the day? Randy snickered. Yep, same as yesterday, and sure as shit, same tomorrow. We're getting front row, dude! He raised his palm for a high five, but Jack wasn't complying. You're leaving me hanging, dude! It's too early, man. You want to know how I woke up today? Jack asked. Randy, though, was already turning his attention to some girls a few plots down from theirs. If Randy was the goofy-looking one, and he was, then Jack was the handsome one. He might look more put together if he wanted to, but he liked to be casual. Untucked button-down shirt with a black t-shirt underneath. Blue jeans and blue Chuck Taylor sneakers and a crop of messy stick-up hair. And what he could manage to grow in facial hair with a pathetic soul patch. Jack could be called a slacker. He had potential. He was pushing 30, but he was still camping out for video games and concert tickets. Most of the friends he had in school had moved on to college and gotten married, had kids. Jack was on his own at least. He had a tiny apartment. He had his tiny home theater set up. And he had a sometimes girlfriend that he wasn't on speaking terms with at the moment. When Jack wasn't with Renee, he was with Randy. And that made Randy happy. Randy hated what Renee had done to Jack. He used to jokingly call Jack pussy whipped until Jack finally punched him in the jaw, nerve struck. Recently, Jack had admitted when pushed by Renee that he indeed did not want her to move into his tiny apartment. She had taken this as an insult. When Jack told Randy this news, Randy tried to high-five Jack then, which Jack reluctantly did. Can I interest you to find young, lovely ladies with breakfast at Scrambies? Randy had asked. He had taken a knee and was proposing his proposition to two cute girls, wearing their hip uniforms of flannel and granola. Neither were interested. Well, tell you what, you save our place in line and I'll bring you back some breakfast. Both of the granola girls nodded yes. Sounds good. He turned to Jack. I guess it's just you and me. Jack shook his head. That crazy Randy always trying to pick up the ladies. I guess it is, he said. They walked past the other line members down the strip mall sidewalk. The Bylots was right next to a pet store, and that was next to a dollar store, and that was next to an office supply chain, and on and on. In the vast parking lot, there were several eating establishments. A Red Lobster, a KFC, and a Scrambies, the all-breakfast fast food restaurant. Can't blame me for trying, can you? Randy slapped Jack in the back. The sooner we replace Renee, the better, don't you think? Jack pushed Randy's hand away. There's no need to replace her. She's gone, man. Randy scoffed at this. Yeah, right. 
Randy looked around to an audience that wasn't there for a reaction. Am I right, people? Shut up, Jack said. Randy embraced Jack, hanging on his shoulder. You know I'm right, you sad sack. I'm serious, man. She's gone. Jack hopped up the curb to the Scrambies establishment, a red brick building with wall-sized display windows painted with menu options like Sausage Biscuit, 99 cents. The Scrambies mascot was an unhatched cartoon chicken egg with two chicken feet sticking out of the bottom. I told her to get lost. Randy opened the door for Jack. Oh my God, you were so full of shit. They waited in line to place their order. There were a number of people in front of them. It was the morning rush. We're going to find us some girlfriends at this concert, Randy said as he stared at the menu above the counter. Any chicks who love Death Racer as much as we do is a keeper. Mine will be a redhead, crazy, but we'll fall instantly in love. Five kids. Renee hated their music, Jack said, staring at his feet. See, what did I tell you? Randy said, turning to Jack. She was not good for us. Us? The line moved forward. We're a package deal, man, Randy joked. Jack was actually touched by this. Randy was right, he thought. Any girl he dated had better get used to Randy because, God damn it, he was his best friend and he wasn't going anywhere. Five kids, Randy snickered. Kids love me! Jack tried to make it work with Renee, but there was this thing he couldn't quite make himself accept. He wouldn't let himself become that thing which he detested. That person that had so much responsibility that it kept him from breathing, kept him from enjoying his life. He had seen that smothering on so many people's faces throughout his life, on his parents, on his siblings, and now on his co-workers' faces. Here he was pushing 30 years old, and he still worked part-time in a comic book store and part-time in a grubbing craft store framing pictures for old ladies. There were many times when he could have accepted a job in management and taken on a little more responsibility, more pay, more work. Fuck that, he thought. He was fine the way he was. He was happy just fucking off, as Renee said, and staying up all night playing video games. He was happy going to concerts, and he was happy camping out with his best friend. He was a happy camper. The thing that got in the way was Renee, though. He liked her a lot, and he certainly enjoyed it when she got naked and slipped underneath the sheets of his waterbed. But when she started asking him about what he wanted to do with the rest of his life, what ambitions he had, he was never sure. She asked him if he thought about getting a better job, what kind of education he had, if that was enough. He'd usually get frustrated and wonder why she was fucking everything up. They were having a great time. Why would she mess this all up? She would usually back off until the next night. They would be curled up in bed and he'd say something like, We should go there sometime. And she'd say, There's no way we could afford that, unless... And he'd get out of bed and say, God damn it, just forget it, okay? And he'd be off again. Renee wanted him to grow up, and he sure as hell did not want to. At least not yet. When he'd leave, he'd head straight over to Randy's house, a house he shared with three other dudes, all of them in their 20s, all drinkers and smokers, and none of them had to be up early in the morning. He would stay there and drink too much and play Madden football till the wee hours of the morning. He didn't even like football. 
The next morning, he'd have a throbbing headache and wander back into his bedroom where either Renee would be or she wouldn't be. He didn't care anymore. As she was there, he would collapse next to her and sleep it off until work. Later on, he would weigh how things felt with her. If she seemed pissed, he would apologize and say that work had been tough that week and he didn't mean to take it out on her. He liked her, but maybe just not enough. Not enough to change. Randy was a shithead, yes, but he was his shithead. He was loyal and always there for him. He had been his constant companion since the ninth grade. He'd been there for Randy, too. When Randy's mom passed away, when Randy's dad passed away a year later, and when Randy had gotten sick a year after that, Randy had been dealt a shitty deck, he'd say. But Randy was the most jovial, fun person that Jack had ever met. The world had shit on this guy, but he was always full of life. Randy was also bad for Jack. When Jack wasn't up to drinking whatever night of the week it was, Randy would talk him into it. When Jack didn't want to go anywhere because he had to work early the next morning, Randy would talk him into it. Next thing you'd know, they'd be at some hipster club making fun of the clientele the way they did. When Jack wanted to quit smoking, it took him about five years because Randy was always there next to him at whatever club or concert, puffing away. Finally, Jack quit, and then so did Randy. The Scrambies establishment was decorated in a barnyard red and cartoon chicken egg motif. On the walls hung cartoony pictures of breakfast, like waffles and fried eggs. As Jack and Randy stood in line, their attention turned to the LCD monitor to the left of the menu. There was no sound, just some news station showing footage of what appeared to be a bad accident. Randy squinted, trying to read the monitor's closed captioning for the hearing impaired. Jesus, where the hell is that? An old woman ahead of Randy, in line, turned to him. That's in Topanga. May the good Lord help them, she said, bowing her head. Anyone die? Randy said, looking a little too enthusiastic for some dish. Jack tugged on Randy. It says on the screen multiple deaths. Can you give the lady a break? What did I do? The line moved forward. Randy grew a grin. Oh my God, I'm not going to call you what I want to call you because I don't want to punch to the jaw. That makes you a smart man, Jack said with a chuckle. When they finally placed their order and sat waiting for their number to be called, Jack pulled out his smartphone and began to scan his favorite websites. One of these was the Mulberry Minutia, a blog about rare vinyl finds in the city. Holy shit! Damn it! What? Randy tried to get a look at his screen. We're stuck here in line and Mulberry Bills has a really rare album I've been wanting for years. Jack showed Randy his phone. Where does this guy keep finding this stuff? Wow! A Sigabuku first printing? Ugh, it makes me sick. I'm ready to bell on our place in line, Jack said, putting his phone away. Randy looked disgusted. No way, we've been here two days and we're not leaving. You must have lost your mind. This is Death Racer Cinco, man. Randy gripped Jack with his eyes. Come on, man. <sighs> yeah, you're right. Damn, maybe it'll still be there tomorrow when we get the tickets. There you go, it'll still be there. I would tell you to call and reserve it, but I already know that dude won't do that shit. Randy stuck his pinky in his right ear, twisting it around. Not just the line, you know. I mean to leave town. 
I want to blow this joint. Jack said, rubbing his forehead in frustration. Excuse me? Randy was fond of saying. Jack coughed. This was hard to spit out into words. He knew it would hurt his friend. Uh, I'm thinking of leaving. Jack adjusted in his chair. I'm thinking of going to live with my sister, you know, out in California. Now, usually Randy was really quick to give Jack a hard time when he talked about leaving Mulberry, leaving him. But there was something about the way Jack had said it. He knew this was serious. This was some serious pondering Jack had been doing. Oh yeah? How come? I'm the only person in my family that still lives here. They've all moved on. My sisters both live in different states. My parents live in Colorado. Sometimes I feel like... Jack realized that he shouldn't really finish his sentence. He should just stop talking. He hadn't even thought about the words he was about to speak until they were on his tongue. He missed his family. He felt lonely. He wanted to see his sisters. He wanted to see their children. He was an uncle, for Christ's sakes. But Randy's parents had died. He was an only child. Jack was all he had. He couldn't do this to him. He couldn't even finish his sentence. So he improvised. Yeah, like, next summer, you and I would go to California and visit her. She has two kids. We could go to the beach. It would be awesome. Randy let out a sigh. Whoa, dude. You were getting heavy there a second, scaring the shit out of me. Hell yes, that sounds awesome. We'll have to save up and go get us some California pieces of tail. He slapped Jack on the shoulder. Come on, man, keep it down. Jack sighed and then couldn't help but smile. Finally, their number was called and they grabbed their food and started out the door. A man in a bike helmet holding his neck fell against the door, pushing his way in as Randy was pushing the door out. Holy shit, what the fuck, man? The man shoved forward with his shoulder. Help me! Randy let go and let the guy fall forward. The door came open and he fell to the ground. The man's left hand fell from his neck for a moment and blood squirted across the floor. Gasps could be heard from the restaurant's patrons. Shit! Sick! Randy squealed. The man squirmed and then went limp. Jack knelt down to help the poor soul. The man laid face down on the floor, lifeless. Somebody call an ambulance! Jack rested his hand on the man's shoulder. He shook the man as if trying to wake him from a nap. Hey, we're, we're going to get you some help, okay? He's dead, man! Look, he's not moving! Randy had a panicky whine to his voice. He dropped his bag, spilling several wrapped sausage biscuits on the man's legs. He immediately bent over to pick them up. Several patrons started leaving through the back exit. Their appetites had been ruined by the sight of blood. Jack shook the man once more, but gave up and stood straight. I, I think you're right, he's dead. Jesus, um, we should leave. Jack looked down to Randy, who was looking up at him, blindly reaching for a sausage biscuit that had rolled out of his bag. The dead man's hand reached up and sat down on Randy's crouching leg. Randy turned to see the man raise his head up, his grayish face lifeless. He looked dead, yet he moved. His eyes were red. The place where his eyes should be white were red like a rat's. Randy tried to pull away, but the man now gripping onto his leg pulled himself closer. Help me! The dead man gurgled. Black-looking blood poured from his mouth. 
Randy fell to the floor, kicking his leg, trying to get the dead man's grip off of him. Jack, not even sure what was happening, could now see that his friend was in distress. He grabbed his arm and pulled at him. The dead man then sank his teeth into Randy's arm. He pulled meat away from the bone, revealing blood and sinew. Randy yelped in pain. Jack's eyes bugged nearly out of his head. Was he really seeing this? He kicked the dead man in the face as hard as he could. The dead man fell back to the ground on his back. Jack quickly took off his button-down shirt and wrapped it around screaming Randy's arm, trying to tie it off as a tourniquet the best he could. Jack cradled Randy's head for a moment. It's all right, buddy. I got you. I got you. The dead man sat up and snarled at them. He sounded like he was trying to say something. Buddy, I got it. Jack pulled Randy to his feet. Let's get the fuck out of here, man. Let's go. Jack and Randy turned around to see that most of the restaurant patrons had fled from the building throughout the back exit. Jack turned to see the employees standing as far away from the dead man as they could. The manager was on the phone, calling the police, Jack hoped. Two more dead people with red eyes fell against the door. A rather rotund man in a sports jersey and an older-looking woman. The same woman that Randy spoke to in line. She was one of those things now. Randy looked pretty rough. He was sweating and shaking like his whole body was freezing. It's the end for me, man. You better go. Jack pulled at him. Shut up. Let's go. Come on, follow me. The dead man on the floor had now turned his attention to the employees behind the counter when the two other dead people entered. Jack and Randy quickly ran towards the back exit, Jack letting Randy rest his arm over his shoulder, helping him along. The last thing that Jack had heard from the employees behind him were screams. Inside the Scrambies, there had been bad 80s rock on the speaker and a relatively pleasant atmosphere until the dead man came, but now on the other side of the door, it was the sound of horror. Screams. Horrible screams. Tires screeching. Alarms going off. And there were also gunshots. It was deafening. Jack and Randy moved as fast as they could. They didn't know why they were running towards their tent in front of the bylots, but they were. I'll get someone to help us, Jack thought. I'll call an ambulance. Jack looked at his friend. Randy looked awful. His face was draining of color. Hang in there, man. Uh, we're going to get you help. As they neared the bylots, Jack noticed that all of the hipsters and granola girls were gone. Probably ran at the first sign of trouble. Or they were in the bylots. The security gate was now down, pulled over the front doors. Maybe they'll open for us. We're not one of those things. From around the corner, where he had disappeared earlier, Officer Jeb Dooley appeared with his pistol drawn. Jack locked eyes with Officer Jeb. The officer raised his weapon at him. Jack froze. Why is he pointing that gun at me? Get down, kid! Jack began to fall to his knees, and the officer opened fire. Jack hadn't been shot, but he felt Randy's arm slide off his shoulder. Jack turned to see his dear friend on the ground, dead. Jack screamed in pure agony. It was like no sound he'd ever made in his life before. Shock, terror, and sorrow. Damn it, get up, kid, before he... Randy sat up, his eyes red. He spoke. Jack! Jack quickly backed away. He ran over to the side of the officer. Get in the store now! Jack ran to the door and banged on it. The gate slowly started to lift up. 
Let him in, Frank. He's okay. Dead Randy moved very slowly towards Officer Dooley, one foot in front of the other. A slow shuffle. Dooley didn't take his eyes off Randy, but turned his head Jack's way. Let him in! Dooley opened fire again, pumping five bullets into Randy's chest. Randy's body spit blood out of the bullet holes, but he kept lumbering forward. Let him in! Dead Randy said in a screechy, painful, wet-like sound. Finally, the gate lifted enough for Jack to roll underneath. Dooley shot two more times, then dropped his clip on the ground and quickly reloaded. He quickly scanned the area. Dead Randy was headed towards him. The parking lot was pandemonium as he saw people being pulled out of their cars by the dead people. He saw several of the dead people turning his way now. It was as if the gunshots was now drawing their attention. Dead Randy was now only a few feet from him when Dooley shot him in the left eye. Dead Randy dropped to the ground like a sack of potatoes, and the life was instantly out of him. Dooley's partner, Officer Billy Wong, had appeared from around the corner with his pump-action shotgun. There's no response. Billy was bleeding from the arm. We're on our own. Dooley took note of the bite on Billy's arm. Jesus, you got bit? I'm alright. I figured out if you shoot them in the head, they go down easy. I wish I would have known that right away. Billy shot towards the closest dead thing, but the buckshot spread too wide and the dead thing only flinched. Closer, man! Wait till they get closer! Conserve your ammo! Dooley said. He fired his pistol and hit the dead thing in the forehead. It dropped. It was one of the granola girls that had been courted for breakfast by Randy earlier. I'm not letting another one of those goddamn things get close to me. Billy pumped his shotgun, emphasizing his intense dislike of the dead ones. Dooley noticed now there were more. How are they growing in numbers so quickly? It was the bites. They all had bite marks. There's too many of them. I'm down two clips. How much ammo you got left? Officer Wong fired into a crowd of three dead things as they came closer. They all fell back like bowling pins. I've got a few more shells, but I have my sidearm and three magazines. Wong coughed after this. He bent over for a second, trying to catch his breath. He looked up at Dooley's concerned face. I'm sorry, Billy. You got bit. You're most likely fucked. Dooley pointed his pistol at Billy. What the fuck are you doing, man? Look at me. I'm fine. Billy fell to his knees like the strength to stand was leaving him. Don't do it, man. Dooley shot him once in the head. Billy fell back, dropping his shotgun to the ground. He was dead. Dooley turned and took out two more dead people. They fell to the ground. Now there were more. He was outnumbered, and the opposing numbers were growing. It was time to retreat. As quickly as he could, he holstered his weapon and picked up Billy's shotgun and unbuckled his gun belt. He ran to the gate of the bylots and kicked it with his foot. Let me in! Fucking hurry! The voice of Frank, the store manager, could be heard from the inside. Uh, you shot Billy! I saw you! Yeah, and I'm gonna shoot you too if you don't open the fucking gate! He fired off a round from the shotgun, one-handed, into a dead thing that got too close. He then threw Billy's gun belt over his shoulder and pumped the shotgun as the dead thing fell to the ground. The gate lifted a foot. Dooley scanned the area. He had a good ten feet of distance before the next dead thing was in the kill zone. He laid down on the ground to roll inside. The gate was still too low. Dooley banged on it. More! More! 
Dooley couldn't quite see Frank inside, but he could see several pairs of feet in the doorway. Lift it up, asshole! Dooley then heard, Asshole! In a spine-tingling voice, he turned to see a dead Scrambies employee, the drive through attendant that had taken many of Jeb's orders for the past year. Jeb fired blindly, hitting the dead employee in the legs, sweeping his feet backwards underneath him, and his face smacked flat on the pavement with a wet thud. The gate lifted a few inches, and Dooley started to slide under until his badge caught on the gate. He was stopped cold. Another dead person stumbled towards him. He pulled the trigger on his shotgun. Click. He hadn't pumped it after the last shot. Now his right arm was under the gate, and his left arm held the shotgun. Fuck! He dropped the shotgun and unholstered his weapon with his right hand and quickly jammed the gun into the metal rods of the gate and fired. The sound deafened him, being so close to his ears. Only one of the bullets had hit its intended target and kept shuffling forward. Fuck! The dead Scrammy's employee said in its garbled manner, crawling towards him. Jeb pulled the gun out of the steel rods and positioned it in another set of rods, hoping for a headshot this time for Mr. Scramby. He fired again, clipping Mr. Scramby's ear. This wasn't working. He decided that either he was sliding right under the gate or he had to slide left away from the gate and fight them off until he could get back under the gate completely. He must choose. What was keeping Frank from opening the gate further, he wondered. 2. Fear. Frank was frozen on the other side of the gate. He had just witnessed two people that he had seen every single day of work for the past two years be killed. Throats ripped out, arms ripped open, exposing veins. He had held it together perfectly a few minutes ago. He even responded when Officer Dooley ordered him to open the gate for the young kid banging on the other side. He had jumped at first, wondering if it was one of those things. But it was that kid... That kid who had been sleeping in the tent. The one that had come in for weeks at a time, staring at high-definition televisions, never to buy anything. He knew the kid, and he knew when he saw the look on his face, that he was very much alive, and he had to let him in. So he reluctantly stuck in his security key that was connected to a key ring with a dozen other important managerial keys, and cranked it just enough for the boy to slide under, and then turned it left to close it. His hands were shaking. He was 42 years old and one of the youngest branch managers. Safety was part of his job and he needed to protect his employees, but he also needed to listen to the police. He knew Officer Dooley too. Dooley was their off-duty cop. He'd get paid a reasonable wage to work security on busy days. Days like big video game releases and big ticket item sales. He was there for Black Friday. He was there for New Year's Day sales. He was scheduled to be there for the release of one of those new state-of-the-art games tomorrow, in fact. When Dooley said to open the gate for the kid, he did so. But when he saw him kill his partner, Billy, that was different. He knew Billy. He talked to Billy many times. He and Billy would shoot the shit up front at closing on regular occasions. Talking about movies or audio equipment or any hot woman who happened to be in the store. Frank would even get on the PA system when he'd see an extremely hot chick, one with an incredible ass, and he'd say, Officer Friendly to the front, please. And Billy would come up one of the aisles and mouth, Which way? And Frank would point. 
Billy would walk over and scan the pretty girl and jokingly bite his fist or mouth the word damn while waving at Frank. Officer Dooley had shot Billy in the head and he'd seen the look on his face before he was killed. It was of terror. He was pleading for his life. You know what, Jeb? Fuck you! Frank turned the key left. The gate pushed down on Jeb's chest. Jeb let out a gasp of breath. He strained to speak. What are, what are you... Oh, open the gate! Jack was curled up on the Blu-ray aisle. He had tears streaming down his face. He had just seen his very best friend killed, and he didn't understand anything that was happening around him. What the hell was this? What was going on? What had just happened? His best friend was dead. Jack had heard the gunshots, but buried his face into his arm, crouched down on the floor. But now he heard the cop who'd saved his life pleading for help. Pleading for someone to open the gate. Jack stood up to look. He saw at least six people. Two girls, four men in their blue polo shirts and khaki pants. They were all standing, shielding themselves behind kiosks and displays, watching their boss as he held a key at the left of the gate that was plugged into some kind of panel. He then saw the cop underneath the gate halfway. It was deafening when he fired his weapon. Every one of them jumped and covered their ears. What was the boss doing? Why wasn't he letting the cop in? What are you doing? Let him in! Jack shouted. But Frank didn't listen. Jack walked a few steps forward. The employees were in shock and deafened by the gunshots. They didn't even turn to look at Jack. Let him in before he gets killed! Jack again shouted. Frank walked over to Jeb and started kicking him. Get out! Get out, you son of a bitch! He kicked at his side, the side of the gate with the hand holding the gun. Frank knelt down and tried to pry the gun out of his hand. Officer Jeb struggled with Frank, but the dead Scrambies employee was right there, a foot away, crawling closer. Jeb aimed his weapon upwards and fired once. Frank was hit by the bullet just under the jaw, exploding the top of his head. The employees gasped. Jack just stood and stared. Now there wasn't much time. Jeb turned his weapon towards Mr. Scramby and click. The slide of the gun popped back. Empty. His left hand was exposed and he couldn't reload. Jack saw the mess this was and ran over to the key. The key was still on the wall. He only had a moment to turn it, but which direction was it? Jack turned the key to the right with hope and the gate started to lift. Officer Jeb's badge finally popped loose and Jeb was free. Mr. Scramby grabbed Jeb by the leg and sank his teeth into the pant material. Jeb freaked at the sight of it and began kicking wildly. He couldn't get Mr. Scramby off him fast enough. The dead man trying with all of his jaw shrink to pierce the khakis and bite into fresh meat. Jack ran over and starting to pull Jeb away, but he just pulled them both inside easily thanks to the wax linoleum floor. Now more of them were coming. The slow way they walked made it worse. Jack had no way of telling how much time he had. He had to close the gate now that Jeb was free, before they got closer. He turned his attention away from Jeb. Jack turned the key so hard to the left that it broke off in his hand. The heavy keychain with a dozen keys nearly fell from his grasp. The gate was not all the way down. There was still about a foot of space between the bottom of the gate and the floor. Shit! Jack said. 
He stuffed the keys into his pocket and ran over to the gate and stuck his foot in between the steel rods and tried to push it down with all of his weight. They were coming, at least ten of them from what Jack could tell. He swiveled his head to his right. Officer Jeb was now wrestling with the dead man. He had his right arm up under the man's jaw, pushing him upward. He held the man's other hand with his left, pushing him with all of his strength. To Jack, it looked like they were holding hands like a couple of lovers rolling in the grass at a local park. It might have been funny if it wasn't so goddamn frightening. The gate wasn't budging, and Jack knew this. He hopped off and gave a quick glance to the employees huddled behind an aisle. They just stood there. They were terrified. They'd be of no help. Jack ran over and with full force kicked the dead Scrammy's employee in the head. This stunned it and it rolled off of Jeb. Jeb kicked it harder to push it away. He quickly scrambled for his gun and reached for a new clip. He turned and executed Mr. Scramby. The dead man now in the sitting position fell back with a violent thud. Jeb was on his knees out of breath, but still able to muster a spit in its direction, and then he immediately turned his attention to Jack. Christ, look out! Directly behind Jack, a dead woman had crawled under the gate and was only a few inches from Jack's left ankle. Jeb fired one shot to the head, dropping her. Then another, and another, an elderly man, a teenage boy, a dollar store employee. They kept coming, and somehow they knew to follow the ground and crawl beneath the gate. They were coming, and Jeb would run out of bullets soon. Get back, he said to Jack. Jack got behind him as he opened fire. Three. One of those days is how Todd Miller had described this day to the attractive female barista that had taken his order at Granana's Coffee House only minutes ago. That was just before a group of dead people had crashed their way into the front entrance, biting and pulling at anyone they could. Todd had made a valiant effort to shoo them away while trying not to touch them, but they had been relentless. He was bitten on the hand by a child with red eyes. The thing that bit him pulled on his hand. Todd threw his latte into its face. It had refused to release his hand, so he started using his fist. He was so focused on getting this pain in his hand to stop, he didn't notice the dead man leap onto the counter on its belly and rip into the barista's jugular. Blood sprayed across the counter. There was screaming, glass breaking, Todd grabbed a beautiful, shiny chrome napkin dispenser and crashed it into the dead child's head. It finally released. Todd pushed both the living and the dead aside to get out of the entrance door. He looked at the city streets to see many cars pulled to the side of the road, people running in different directions. He heard sirens. Just get to your truck, Todd, he thought. It was his prized possession. A red and black GMC Sierra. Many of the denizens of Mulberry now drove those crappy electric cars, but not him. It was a big truck, and he felt like a real man behind the wheel. He headed to the parking lot on the left side of the coffee shop. A short dead man in a bright red and green sweater made Todd think of a cross between Freddy Krueger and a bad Christmas gift. Lunged at him, but he dodged him quite easily and kept running. His hand was bleeding badly. He stared at the U-shaped bite mark in his hand and winced. He reached his bloody right hand into his pants pocket and pulled out his set of keys. He hit the button on the keychain to unlock his massive vehicle. He pushed his foot down on the gas and put it in drive 
and drove right over the curb into the main street, swerving around several pedestrians, both living and dead. But he couldn't tell either way. He didn't care. He just needed to drive. To get the hell out of there. This place was insanity. The roads. The sidewalks. He navigated his way around stalled cars and bodies laying on the ground. The dead people huddled over their lifeless body, doing God knows what. He'd originally thought to get to the hospital, to get them to check out his hand, but now he could see that this entire city was a lost cause. Every street he turned on had more people running, more people lying on the ground. Other cars crashed into each other. He had to get out of the city. Just drive. His vision blurred for a moment, and he rubbed his eyes with his non-bloodied hand. He had been running on adrenaline, but now his strength was going. He felt this sudden weakening, this drop in coherence. Where am I going? Where am I driving? His truck struck a dead man lumbering in the street, splashing blood on the hood. Todd didn't pay it much mind. He was having a moment of difficulty, figuring out what had just happened to him, and his brain was failing to tell him anything. His hand throbbed. It burned, in fact. Todd started to swerve. He remembered his wife and kids. What were their names again? His face strained as he racked his brain trying to remember. He had two kids, right? Yes, two children. Their names were... He couldn't remember their faces. He slumped in his seat, his driving erratic. Drool fell from his mouth. His eyes were watering and bloodshot. His eyes slowly rolled up into his head, and his head fell forward on the steering wheel. His horn sounded as he swerved onto the sidewalk of the nearby outdoor shopping center, and he headed directly towards a Bylots electronics store. 4. Jack watched as Officer Jeb shot at every dead thing that slid under the gate with an awesome proficiency. Jack had a million things racing through his head about the whys and the hows of what was going on in front of him, but there was one thought that was crystal clear, and that was right in front of him. Officer Jeb Dooley was a badass with a pistol, and he was pissed. Jeb still had shotgun shells in his pocket, but he had left the 12-gauge Mossberg on the pavement outside of the gate. It was only a few inches, if only he could reach out and grab it. He tried to mentally count the amount of rounds that he had left. He thought maybe two, perhaps three. The once moving dead lay under the gate. In fact, they had done a great job of blocking up the bottom of the gate. Jeb even nodded to himself as if he had planned it that way. But that meant now that he had to stick his hand between those corpses and reach for the shotgun. That is, unless... Say, kid, go grab me that shotgun. He nodded towards the gate. Jack looked ahead. He didn't want to take one step near those things, let alone stick his hand in between them. Jack didn't budge. We don't have all day, kid. He gestured his gun-wielding hand towards the gate. Get over there and get me that weapon. He locked eyes with Jack with this intensity that would make anyone do as commanded. Jack stiffened up and stood his ground. With all due respect, officer, fuck that shit. Jeb Dooley released the clip from his sidearm. One bullet is all that remained in the magazine. There were no more clips on his belt. He had one bullet in the chamber. This was it. Two shots. This is all I have left to kill those things. He showed Jack the mag. Now with that shotgun, we may have a chance of getting to my squad car and getting the hell out of here. 
he took a step toward Jack. Hey, asshole, do you hear me? Are you going to cover me? If, if that's what it's called? Jack cleared his throat. Or could I cover you, if, if that's okay? Jeb actually laughed at this. <laughs> have you ever fired a weapon, kid? I seriously doubt that you have. No offense. He stuck the clip back into the gun. Video games do not count. He pulled Jack by the shoulder, nudging him towards the gate. He actually had a gentle touch, trying to calm Jack. I'll cover you. He shoved Jack this time. Jack stumbled forward. Do it now before more of them come. Do it. Jack took a few steps before turning to look at Jeb. Jeb nodded his head in a manner of saying, Get on with it. Jack looked left to right. He didn't see any of the shuffling dead people coming towards the gate, but he did see them in the distance, perhaps walking towards the last loud sound that they had heard. Jack had noticed commotion seemed to draw their attention, and there was still plenty of noise going on outside. Maybe they were headed somewhere else. Jack looked down through the steel rods and saw the shotgun on the ground on the other side. All he had to do was crouch down on one knee. No, wait. Shit, that wasn't going to work. He needed to get down on his belly and reach for that shotgun. There was no other way that he was going to reach it. God damn this. Fuck this shit, he thought. He couldn't simply just stick his arm under the gate. He was going to have to touch these corpses. These dead people. They were dead, right? He turned again towards Jeb. Jesus Christ, kid! Jeb spit on the floor. Will you get a fucking move on? Jack didn't nod. He didn't say anything. He turned his attention back towards the gate. He put a slow hand on the shoulder of the dead dollar store employee and slid it to the left, blood still pouring from its exposed brain cavity. Jack belched an acidic bile into his mouth. K.I.T. Keep it together. Keep it together, he thought over and over. He looked at the dead old lady and figured she would be much lighter and nudged her over with his right forearm, just enough that he could see daylight creep in between the two bodies. Okay, now that that was done, he got on the floor onto his belly. He took one last glance left and right. There was one shuffler to the left. It was right in front of the giant Bylot's display window. He had plenty of time to grab the shotgun and get back to his feet and run over to Officer Dooley. Just do it, he commanded himself. Jack laid on his belly and slid forward. He slowly stuck his right arm in between the corpses. He felt around. His forefinger felt the grip of the shotgun. It had just grazed it. He would have to lay his head down and slide just a bit more, a little further. He wanted to see where that shuffler was, but he didn't have time. He put his face to the floor and slid his head under the gate. There he could feel the grip and cupped his finger around it and pulled it slowly. The shotgun made a scraping sound on the pavement. Jack winced at this. Surely that shuffler will hear this and run right over. But it didn't. Not yet, at least. Jack pulled harder. It was much too heavy to pick right up off the ground, and it was off balance. He would have to continue scraping it along. He listened for the footsteps, but some other sound caught his attention. At first far off, but now much closer. It was the sound of a car horn, and it was growing louder. 
Jack finally yanked the shotgun from under the gate with a loud scrape sound that caused the nearby shuffler to growl. It was on its way, but so was something else. As Jack stood up straight, pulling the heavy weight of the shotgun to his chest, he met eyes with Officer Jeb. His eyes were a perfect round shape, displaying what could only be fear. Jack turned around and looked out the gate's steel rods and saw a large red and black pickup truck heading right for the Bylot store. It was going pretty fast, and like a speedboat hauling water skiers, were what looked to be about a hundred of the dead people following the loud horn, calling them into action. Jack's only instinct was to run, and run as fast as he could. He ran towards Officer Dooley and tossed him the shotgun, but he kept running right past him. There had to be a back exit to this place. Dooley caught the shotgun with his left hand. He quickly holstered his pistol and began loading the 12-gauge shotgun shells into the weapon. Jack looked over his right shoulder. He swore he yelled, Come on! to the employees, but the sound of the truck crashing through the floor display window was so deafeningly loud that he wasn't even positive he had said anything at all. The truck was going full speed and took everything it hit with it in its wake. It mowed down displays and televisions. Aisles with DVDs and Blu-rays were flattened and thrown aside. The five employees that had been hiding behind the aisles were in the wrong place at the worst possible moment. Jack saw two of the men flattened underneath as an aisle of smartphone accessories was turned on top of them as the truck ran right over. The third employee, a teenage boy, actually pushed one of the girls out of his way as he lunged far enough from the truck's path to have his feet run over. He screamed in pain. The girl that was pushed had her head smacked by the bumper of the truck, killing her instantly. It was a mercy killing, really, because the flood of the dead had just entered the store. They followed the sound of that car horn, and they kept coming in droves. Sally Fortenberry was the last living employee of the Bylots Electronics Store. She stood just to the right of the truck as it flew past her and smacked into the brick wall into the video game section. Smoke and several flashes of sparks flashed, blinding her for a moment. Finally, the brick-retaining wall had stopped the truck, its rear wheel spinning on the wax floor, the horn still blazing. Sally stood there with her pulled-back blonde hair and her glittery eye makeup twinkling under the flash of sparks, her jaw agape. She had just seen everyone she knew in the store wiped out, and she somehow survived long enough to hear the voice of Officer Jeb say to her, Look the fuck out! Jack stared in a helpless horror as the hundreds of dead people came up behind her. They were heading towards the sound of the car horn, but they had spotted this lovely snack along the way. Sally was quickly engulfed by the creatures, the dead things, and only a single squeak of surprise could be heard before it was drowned out by the sound of truck horn and what sounded like the scene from Gremlins when the bad Mogwai, led by Stripe, tricked Billy into giving them chicken past midnight. Officer Dooley saw that the creatures were distracted for the moment. He loaded another shell into his shotgun and sidled up to Jack, who was still stuck on the view of the dead people, hunched over a bloody mound that used to be a cute blonde teenage girl. Dooley grabbed Jack's shoulder, making him jump. Jeb whispered, Hey, shush, before they notice us. Let's find a back door and get the fuck out of here. Jack only nodded and quickly turned around and began investigating. The back of the bylots had several doors off to the left, right next to the computer section that had been unharmed by the truck crash, marked restrooms, and another called car install. 
To the right, all he saw was where the truck had crashed, but Jack noticed right above the wreckage was a small sign that said, Employees Only. Jack quickly took note of the dead ones. The ones that weren't feasting on the trampled employees were turning their attention to the exact spot where Jack and Jeb needed to go. Jack then motioned to Jeb where the door was located. Jeb rolled his eyes at their predicament. He knew they needed to quickly move that goddamn truck somehow. If it still ran, and then while avoiding those creatures that were once human that seemed to enjoy biting others. Jeb had already taken note that these once human monsters were very slow. They were almost pathetic how helpless they seemed. That is until they got close, and then they had you in their teeth. He had just witnessed what happens when you're surrounded by them. They tear you apart like a school of piranha, albeit very slow piranha. Jack followed Jeb over to the truck, stepping over the scattered remains of DVDs and broken plastic of electronic gadgets. The driver's side window of the truck was up, and Jeb could see the dead driver inside, face down on the steering wheel. The dead person looked like they had suffered a head trauma, no doubt when plowing into the store. The horn was so loud it was hard to think. Jeff pulled on the handle. Of course, of course the damn door would be locked. He turned to look at Jack like, can you believe this shit? But Jack had no idea what was going on. Jeb knew that he needed to get into that truck cab, and the only way to do it would be to smash the glass. The horn was loud enough. Perhaps it wouldn't even be heard over the roar of the horn. In fact, that was probably the reason the dead people hadn't even come directly to the truck. Inside the store, the horn echoed throughout the structure. It was so loud, it was impossible to pinpoint its exact location. Jeb motioned for Jack to stand back. He held up the butt of the shotgun to the window. He gently smacked the glass with a stock. It wasn't enough force. Less gentle now, he pulled back and pounded the glass with full force, and it shattered in one loud crack. Jeb cautiously reached into the window and grabbed dead Todd by the hair and pulled his head back off of the horn. He then shoved him over where he slumped on his right side. Instantly, with the dead weight of his foot on the gas, and the horn now released, it was a relief to their ears. Ears that still rang, even with its absence. As gunshots, crashes, and horns had been so abusive to their senses. Get ready, Jeb said to Jack. Hey, look at me! Jack was eyeing the dead. They were now milling about in an aimless manner. Kid, you have to listen to me. Jack looked at Jeb now, locking eyes with him. I'm going to put the truck in reverse. Then we are going to get into the back room and out of the exit. Jeb scanned the area. Several of the dead were now making their way, shuffling to the back of the store. Be ready. Jack only nodded. Jeb handed Jack the shotgun. Hold this. Aim, pull the trigger, pump, repeat. He gave Jack a stern look. Understand? Jack had never fired a weapon in reality, but he'd done it plenty of times in video games. He had seen plenty of shotguns fired in film and television shows. He was pretty sure he had this figured out, except for the fact that he was so terrified. I got it. Jeb patted him on the shoulder, then turned his attention to the truck. He reached in and popped the door lock and opened the door as quietly as he could. He looked across dead Todd slumped on the side and slid him over as much as he could with both hands. He then climbed into the cab. The engine still running miraculously, Jeb put his hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel and then shifted to reverse. He slowly let off the brake 
and backed up. The truck bumper pulled away from the door, revealing crushed bits of particle board, plastic, and human remains. Jeb looked at Jack and nodded his head to take a peek inside. Jack saw Jeb motion to him, and he quickly saw that the number of the dead were now making their way closer. He knew they were making too much racket to avoid being detected for long. There were two big swinging silver metal doors leading to the back room. It was a stock room. Jack couldn't see much, but he did see an exit sign at the back. He quickly stuck his head back outside and gave a thumbs up to Jeb, but he realized that Jeb was no longer alone. Right next to him, dead Todd had sat straight up and turned to him. Right as Jeb had seen the thumbs up, he had barely turned to notice dead Todd as teeth sank into his neck, piercing his jugular vein. Jeb's blood spurt across the windshield. Jeb gritted his teeth. He wasn't the sort to scream. With the strength and life in him that he had left, he unholstered his sidearm and squeezed off his final round into dead Todd's skull. The gunshot caused the dead in the bylots to stir. The dead started shuffling to the back of the store, en masse. Go, kid, Jeb said, putting the truck into drive. Get safe, he said, losing consciousness bleeding at an excessive rate. Before Jack could react, the truck slammed into the doorway once again, blocking him from the dead mayhem. The two silver doors swung shut. 5. Jeb was quickly surrounded and could feel the warmth of his own blood running down his torso, saturating his clothing. He closed his eyes and hoped that death would take him fast. He felt like he was being submerged underwater as the dead things reached for him and pulled. He heard a voice. Jeb. Jebediah. Come. It was the voice of his mother. Jeb opened his eyes only to meet one of the dead things staring directly at him. Its glowing red eyes were the last things he ever saw. Six. Jack had no time to register what had just happened. He ran to the back of the stockroom to see what looked like a metal garage door with a chain pulley system for opening and closing. To the right was the rear exit, a big tan metal door with a steel bar across it. On it was a sign that read, Upon opening, alarm will sound. Christ, really? Jack thought. Everything makes noise. Thoughts of what he had just witnessed started to creep into his mind. The dead man at Scramby's. The death of Randy. The several deaths after that. The blood. All of the blood. Jack snapped himself out of it. He ripped off the steel bar on the door and kicked it open. An annoying buzzing ring started as he glanced outside. Out back, it was downhill from the driveway alley of the bylots. The door was right next to the back loading dock. Jack was just about to hop down to the pavement when he glanced up at the approaching dead. They had heard the door buzzing and were coming to investigate the sound. There were five, no six of them. They could have been doctors and lawyers and dead crossing guards. It didn't matter. They were on their way and Jack again would be trapped. Would he try to run around them and get to safety? Or would he slam the door shut to try to stay here? Was this stockroom safe with what Jeb had done to protect him? Could they get in? Jack slammed the door shut and placed the safety bar back on. The buzzing sound silenced. Jack ran back to the two silver doors. 
He could hear the growls and chewing sounds, no doubt Officer Jeb being ripped apart for dinner. The big truck almost completely blocked off the doorway. The only way anything could possibly get in would be to crawl underneath the truck. But it had pushed so much debris against the door that might not be possible. He listened for signs that they were trying to get through the door, but the buzzing sound of the door didn't seem to have made them frenzy. Jack looked around for something to block the door on this side. He spied around and saw basically a room of cardboard boxes on pallets. This was the store's backstock. Televisions, computers, a crate of bottled water, candy, recordable blank DVDs and Blu-rays, assorted video games and computer accessories. He thought for a moment that pushing a pallet of TVs would do the trick. But then he saw a row of employee lockers to his left. They were just down the hallway that led to the break room. He walked down the hallway. To his right was a long rectangular window with blinds open, revealing to him the inside of the break room. There were three round tables with six folding chairs in disarray. There were several bags of chips and open sodas on the table. It looked as though some of the employees had been snacking before all the hoopla outside had happened. On the wall were several motivational posters like, There is no I in team, and Persistence, with a rock climber clinging to the side of some giant mountain. Jack noticed that there was a snack machine, one of those with the big glass window on the front displaying all the snacks in rows. Hit the right number, and they come tumbling down to the bottom. Also, there was a soda machine in the back with several offerings to choose from. Jack noticed that the break room television sat on a folding chair in the corner. It was off. He wasn't sure if he wanted to turn it on. Perhaps he would be curious enough to see if there was any news later. Right now, he was still barely holding back the emotions of what had just gone on outside. He'd barely been awake for an hour before this doom had happened to his friend and others. Jack stood there numb. Move, Jack. He clenched his fists and his jaw, holding back the tears. Keep moving. But what was the most important thing to do right now? Fortify that door. Make sure none of those bastards get in here. Jack inspected the wall of lockers. It was a giant hunk of metal housing. All of the lockers connected in one piece. It was not connected to the wall. It would be perfect for blocking the doorway. Jack tugged on the lockers, pulling it slowly cockeyed away from the wall. It made a horrible grating sound. Jack stopped and turned his head to the outside, listening for the dead people. He heard nothing. He went to the other side and pushed more, carefully aiming for the doorway. After pushing tables and chairs out of his way, he was behind the lockers, pushing them out of the doorway. He then had to run out of the doorway and pull the lockers from the other end, and then push them at an angle to get them out of the door and down the hall. He decided to ignore the scraping sound and get the job done. If those things outside did hear this horrible sound and tried to get back here, then the reason he was doing this was a good reason he needed to do it, to be safe. After pushing the lockers flush against the wall, he used a pallet jack to steer several of the heaviest looking pallets against the lockers. When he was done, he took a moment to study his barricade. It looked strong, and likely it would hold. If he couldn't push it without a pallet jack, how could those dead people do it? When Jack turned around to face the rest of the freight in the room, he looked up and noticed a window. It was an observation window. Whatever that room was, it was elevated and looked to be a relatively safe place, he decided.
He looked around for a door that might lead upstairs, and he found himself going back down the hallway, past the break room. Then on his right was a men and women's restroom. That was good. A place to relieve himself. At the very end of the hall, past the time clock and time cards, was a big metal door. The door was labeled Manager, and underneath was a smaller placard that read, Bookkeeping. There was a camera above the door for security purposes, and a doorbell to the right of the door. Instinctively, Jack pushed the buzzer. It was louder than Jack thought it would be, and he jumped. He took a deep breath, not sure why he'd even pushed it. Could there possibly be anyone alive in there? After a moment, there was still silence. If there was anyone on the other side, they did not respond. Jack pushed on the door and it didn't budge. It was pretty solid. He then remembered that he'd actually pocketed a set of keys in the front of the store, the keychain that was connected to the front gate key. He had blindly stuffed it into his pocket. Taking the keys out, he counted about 12 keys and one broken gate key. Two of the keys were small stubby things that he recognized as vending machine keys. They looked exactly like the kind he used for his old bicycle lock that was made by a company called Kryptonite. Okay, he thought. One of these will open this door. He started one at a time, trying to shove each key into the door. With each key that wouldn't work, he shrugged. He was getting closer to the last key, and his anxiety was gaining. Finally, the final key. Not even close. He threw the keys down in a noisy jingle in disgust. The son of a bitch is probably wearing it around his neck, he thought. The safest place to be in this building and he didn't have a key. It would be the safest place to be. With its strong metal door to get through, he would be safe. He pounded on it with the fleshy part of his fist. If he didn't have the key, he was going to have to find a way into that window. The observation window that overlooked the stockroom was about 20 feet in the air. Jack stood staring up at it. He contemplated a number of options. There had to be a ladder somewhere back there, he thought. They had to hang TVs up high on walls all the time. He went looking and he found a corner with two large ladders folded and leaning against the wall. They looked to be about the same height. He grabbed the first one and pulled it over to the window. The ladder was a good 10 feet tall. Shit! He thought. He sat down on a pallet of brown boxes. He had no idea what the content was, but it was enough to hold his weight. He sighed. Would it be so bad to hide out in that break room? He could sleep on that cold floor or one of those countertops. How long would he be here? Would he even live till the night? Screw that! He stood up and, like a man possessed, started stacking boxes. He huffed and grunted and he lifted larger boxes and turned LCD television boxes on their side, then plasma TVs. Then he'd stack a wooden pallet on top, then start another batch of TV and home theater boxes, stacking and then topping it off with another pallet. Jack remembered the time that he and Randy were around 13 years old, and they had decided that a treehouse would be an awesome base of operations in his backyard. Randy had the bright idea of tying the wood to a rope and hauling it up to the top branch. It was being pulled halfway up when Randy ran out of steam and toppled over the branch, landing smack on the rope two-by-fours. Jack's mom had to rush them to the emergency room, he remembered. He couldn't remember if Randy's mom was still alive, though. His fond remembrance turned to sorrow quickly. A flash of Randy smiled, his goofy laugh. Stop it, Jack. Don't do this to yourself, 
he thought. Jack stopped to take a look at his progress. This would be much like their treehouse if he wasn't careful. When the time came to balance the ladder on the top of the pile, Jack had to build his own staircase of boxes up the side of his tower. He had no idea how long this had taken him. He didn't want to stop and think about what he was doing. He wanted to keep moving, keep working. Don't stop. Don't think about what has happened. The whys in the house. It didn't matter. All that mattered was getting into that damned room. Sweat poured down his face. Sweat gathered on his palms. He carefully stood at the foot of the ladder as it lay atop the pile. He stared up at it. It would be close. It was about a foot short of the window. But he could possibly lean over and hop into the window. Wait, what was he thinking? The window was closed. It was glass. What was he going to do, jump face first into the glass? He stood at the base of the ladder, trying to think of how he would open that window. The shotgun. Yes. He had set it down as soon as he got into the stockroom. Brilliant, Jack, he thought. The one weapon I have, and I've misplaced it. He hadn't really misplaced it, though. He had set it on a box near the back exit. He set it down to put the steel bar back in the door and never picked it up again. He would have to be smarter. He went back and picked up the shotgun. It was so damn heavy. How the hell was he going to climb that wobbly ladder all the way to the top and fire that gun into the glass without flying off of it and breaking his neck? Could he possibly shoot it from the floor? Maybe he could use the butt of the shotgun to break the glass. He could save however many shells he had. In fact, he had no idea how many shells he had to begin with. He then promised himself to watch a YouTube video of how to unload and load a shotgun as soon as he could. If there was still an internet, that was. Was there even a YouTube? Surely there was. YouTube is forever, he thought. Wait a minute. He had been looking more closely at the window now. He quickly set the shotgun down and climbed the ladder. It wobbled and swayed on the stack boxes below. The wood of the pallets creaked, and he swore he heard glass break, but none of that mattered as long as he didn't fall. He had to stand on the next to top rung of the ladder. He jammed both of his feet on the step and took a deep breath. He then stood straight and tall and reminded himself not to look down. It was a giant rectangle of a window, about three foot wide and two foot tall. He would most certainly fit, but now he noticed something that he hadn't before. It was two panes of glass. It was sliding glass. It could be slid open. There he saw a silver cylindrical piece fastened to the inside lip of the glass. It was a lock. Could it be possible that it was unlocked? He might have a key, he thought, but he'd have to be on the inside of the room to unlock it. Dumbass! But maybe it was unlocked. Maybe the manager would slide it open and yell to his stalkers out on the floor, probably goofing off. Maybe he had to tell them which box had which TV inside. Who cares? All of those people are dead! Stop it, Jack! Jack leaned over slowly towards the window, his left hand held straight, waiting to contact the metal window frame. There, he had made contact. He then brought his right hand to the frame. He was balanced, but he had no leverage. The ladder was nearly standing on two legs. How was he going to do this? Jack extended his tippy toes and held his breath. His right hand finger slapped against the glass, his sweaty palm trying their best to make him slip. He tugged on the glass sliding to the right. It was giving way. It was sliding. 
and the glass did slide open, and he felt a refreshing gust of air-conditioned cold hit his face. With the glass completely pushed aside, he had enough of a window to crawl inside if he jumped forward just right, enough to hit the frame and slide in. If he hit wrong, he could possibly slide the other way and fall hard and hit the floor below. Jack didn't want to think about it anymore. He leapt from the ladder, aiming right for the window opening. His stomach hit the metal frame hard, nearly knocking the air out of his lungs. He moaned in pain, but he was balanced on the frame. He kicked his legs wildly, knocking the ladder off its perch, crashing to the floor below. He felt around inside for something to grab onto. He felt something cold. He grabbed it. A chair leg? It didn't matter. It was enough for him to grip and pull himself inside. He thudded onto the carpet. The soft, comforting gray carpet felt wonderful to him. He sat there, leaning against the wall below the window, staring at the manager's office. He saw a giant oak desk with a laptop and papers scattered about, the leather-bound office chair that he had used to pull himself inside. There was a long green couch that looked reasonably comfortable with a blanket folded neatly on one of the arms. On one of the walls was a mounted LCD television and more of those motivational posters. This time, it was about success and one of Muhammad Ali in the ring. It said, failure is not getting knocked down. It's not getting up again. Jack stood up and noticed family pictures on Frank the manager's desk. He had several jars of candy like Tootsie Rolls and Peppermints. There was also a multi-line phone and a package wrapped in brown paper on the desk. It was about the size of a 24-pack of Zolt Cola. He promised himself that he would try to use the phone, but first he needed to get that door open downstairs, get the shotgun, get some food from the snack machine, and get back inside. Maybe help would be here sooner than later, but something in his gut told him that he would be here a long time. Jack made several trips downstairs. He brought up his shotgun. He emptied the machines of all their snacks and sodas using his new keychain. He rummaged through the lockers and brought a denim jacket with him. He also had several smartphones and chargers just in case. If his wasn't working, he needed to call for help. He hoped there was someone out there to save him. Maybe the army was coming. The National Guard? He didn't know, but he had to try. He removed the Yellow Pages phone book that he had used to keep the heavy door from closing on him, and he was sealed inside. He had inspected the bookkeeper's office but found nothing there except a desk and a computer and a phone in a wastebasket. He noticed on a nearby schedule hung near the doorway that the bookkeeper was to arrive every day at noon. He doubted that he or she would be showing up on this day. Back in the manager's office, he sat on the floor and leaned against the couch. There was something about the woolly gray carpet that felt comforting to him. He pulled out his phone, finally. He had all of his bars. At first he thought to dial the police, but he didn't because of some inner curiosity, the thought of loved ones. So he dialed his sister in California. As long as Beth answers, everything will be okay. Maybe it's just Mulberry, maybe only parts of Texas. We're sorry, this line is temporarily out of service. Please check the number and try again, the robotic female voice said. Jack's heart sank. He dialed his parents in Colorado. We're sorry, this line is temporarily out of service. Please check the number and try again. He closed his eyes tight. His worst nightmare was happening. He dialed his youngest sister. Just let Tina answer. She's going to be okay, he thought to himself. This time, there wasn't an automated message, just a loud busy tone that nearly deafened him. 
He pulled his phone away from his ear and let it slip from his hand. It fell on the soft carpet. He slowly turned on his side and curled up into a ball. Randy was dead, and now everyone else was too. How long till I'm dead? He thought to himself. He closed his eyes. End of chapter. Dead Ahead. Written and narrated by Jason Wallstrom. Music by Terry Wallstrom. Visit nimpodcast.blogspot.com. Contact me at nimpodcast at gmail.com. The story continues. Thing.